Broadcasting from the campus of Loyola University, it's 88.7 WLUW, Chicago Sound Alliance. The pitch to Aramis, there's a drive, deep left center, Cubs win, they win it, Ramirez, two-run shot, oh baby, can you believe it? Thank you for joining me every Sunday morning at 11 here on 88.7 FM WLUW. Got an hour uninterrupted of your favorite small town kid. Go to the Loyola Phoenix, Nick Schultz. I know Sister Jean pretty well. I think he's the sports editor there. He is. Right? He's a sports he's editor. Yeah. Sports good, columnist, sports writer. And, uh, and there's a, there's... I'd be lying if I said I wasn't watching baseball in class. Nick Schultz, who is a, a rising star in the profession. Our guy, Nick Schultz, covers... Loyola for the student newspaper there, the Loyola Phoenix. I have to keep pinching myself <laughs> and asking if this is real. I cannot believe this is happening. I'm a poor, starving college student, so I would say I was physically here, but I wouldn't say I was mentally here. Well, you heard at the beginning of the intro my favorite call from Len Casper as the TV voice of the Chicago Cubs. If you missed the news this week, and it was big news this week in Chicago sports journalism, Len Casper is now the radio play-by-play voice of the Chicago White Sox on their new deal with ESPN 1000. And I figured, what better way to start the show than with, I know it's my Favorite call of Lens, and Lens said it's his favorite. And it's going to be very weird seeing Len across town. I'm really happy for him, but I figured there was no better way to start the show than with that. Welcome into the Sunday Sports Shootout on WLUW 88.7 FM. I'm your host, Nick Schultz, here with you until noon, taking you up to kick off a Bears-Lions at Soldier Field. You're talking football in the second half hour. A lot of college basketball to talk today. Because Loyola came back yesterday, obviously this is Loyola's radio station, and I covered the Ramblers for four years, so we're going to talk Loyola basketball. And they had a good showing yesterday against Lewis in their first game back from their COVID-19 shutdown. DePaul is coming back tonight, and that means every D1 school in Illinois is playing basketball now. So I'll be talking a lot of college basketball. Also, some Missouri Valley Conference news this week, uh, it's potential for A.J. Green to miss the year due to a hip injury. I'll talk about the implications of that. He's getting a second opinion. It's not for sure, but that could have some major salute ramifications across the league. Also, as I said, Bears-Lions at noon. couple of things on that. There was a report from CBS Sports' Jason Lockenfora today regarding a potential head coach search by the Bears and a top candidate who's pretty close to home. He's not in the city. He's in a suburb. And if that gives you any indication of where I'm talking about. Also, we do have the injury report. I'll be talking about the injury updates, betting lines, and my prediction for today's game at Soldier Field. Again, I do want to lead with a little bit more on Len Casper's move across town. So Thursday night, I'm laying in bed. 
I'm starting finally to watch The Mandalorian, which I'm loving. I'm almost done with season one. No spoilers for season two. I've been really good about avoiding spoilers. Uh, one of my friends almost told me a spoiler from season two, and I managed to shut her up. But I'm loving The Mandalorian so far. And I'm watching a couple episodes, and I'm like, you know what? It's 11 o'clock. I'm going to go to bed. That's early for me, because I'm usually a night owl. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to finally fall asleep before midnight. This is good. This is healthier. And as I turn off the light, my phone lights up with an alert from The Athletic saying Len Casper is leaving the Cubs. That's all it said on the headline. You read it, and he's taking the radio play-by-play gig for the White Sox. Shout out to Sahada Sharma for breaking that. I mean, this was literally 11 o'clock at night on Thursday. And this is after Mike Thomas, the new market manager for ESPN 1000, tweeted earlier in the day, hey, tune in to Cap'n J-Hood at 9 a.m. for an announcement that'll make you go, wow. And I'm sitting there all day going, what could the announcement be? I mean, they announced that they've got the deal. They've got their White Sox weekly show started. I don't know what it could be. And then Sahada broke that. And I'm like, okay, there's the big announcement. And I did, in fact, go wow. Because I didn't see that coming. I'm sure a lot of people were that way. And Len sounded like he knew that during his Zoom call. And to give you an idea, showing my age, Len's the only TV voice of the Cubs I've known. I'm 22. I started paying attention to baseball about 06, 07. Len started with the Cubs in 2005. If that gives you an idea of where my fandom is. So I don't know any other TV voice. I don't remember when Chip Carey was there. And this is going to be very weird. I'm really happy Len's staying in town. This is, I tweeted this. I'm really, really glad he's staying in town because he's a great voice. He's ultra talented. And he's a great guy. It's going to be really weird hearing him as the voice of the Sox now. And he's following in the shoes of Ed Farmer, who passed away in April. And also he's following Andy Mazur, a friend of mine. And I'm really happy that Andy had the opportunity to take over for Farmio this year. And I wish him all the best. He was on the call of the Loyola game yesterday, which was good to see. But I don't know what's next for Andy. But I do want to give a special shout out to Andy, who did a great job alongside Darren Jackson this year. But it's Len Casper's gig now. So he's going from working from going from working with JD to working with DJ. That's going to be fun. But again, I, I've been a Cubs fan most of my life. All my life, actually. And I do want to thank Len for everything. I mean, a lot of good memories. I was actually in the car when Aramis Ramirez hit that home run. I get, my parents are probably inside wondering how I remember this. I don't know how I remember this, but I remember listening to Pat Hughes' call of that home run. I believe that was in 2007. And I found the highlight of Len's call. And I remember Len's call, but I don't remember Pat's. But I remember listening to it in the car and then finding the highlight later. But that was my way of, I guess, paying tribute, even though he's just moving across town and he's still going to be on the air. Paying tribute, I guess, to Len Casper. But that was just how I thought I should start the show. And again, credit to Saad of Sharma for breaking that. I mean, that was... I, I, 11 o'clock at night, you don't expect anything like that. And I mean, Cubs Twitter went nuts. And it sounds like it was Len's decision. I believe that. I'm really happy for him. That said, when I heard the rumors that Chris Myers was Marquis' leading candidate and Gordon Whitmire actually reported it was a done deal before Mike McCarthy, the GM of Marquis, said it wasn't. When I heard Chris Myers, I'm like, I'm not sure about that. 
I just I I think he's very much a national voice. Like he's, I saw him last week. Was it last week or the week before on Fox NFL Sunday. He's he's more of a national voice, and that I feel like that's what Marquis going for is kind of the national feel. I'm not really sold on Chris Myers as the Cubs play-by-play man, but it sounds like they're going to do a full search. And I agree with my guy, Russ Dorsey. Call Joe Davis if you haven't already. And I, I responded to Russ with the clip from Shawshank Redemption going, not tomorrow, not after breakfast, now. Call Joe Davis now. That'd be my pick if I could pick the next play-by-play voice of the Cubs. But Len Casper's moving to ESPN 1000. Now the White Sox have... Jason Benetti on TV and Len Casper on the radio, which is, I think it's safe to say, outside of maybe the Bulls with Adam Amin and Chuck Swirsky, the strongest TV radio combination in town. And it's going to be fun to see this year. And they're going to do podcasts and stuff. I love Benetti. Benetti actually went to my mom's alma mater of Homewood Flossmore. And I, I love that guy. When he does games with Bill Walton, during college basketball season, and when he brought Bill Walton into the broadcast booth. I I love that guy. And then Len and Jason are going to do games together, which is going to be must-see TV. And it's going to be great. So all the best to Len. And from a Cubs fan, thank you for the memories and good luck on the South Side. And, I mean, I'm going to be listening to White Sox Radio this year, absolutely, with Len and DJ on there. That's going to be a good broadcast. I'm telling you right now, a a lot of baseball acumen there. All right, let's move on to college basketball because I've got a lot to say about college hoops, mostly Chicago-related. But as I said, every school in the state is now playing now. DePaul plays its first game tonight, which is why I will post my power rankings for college hoops tonight on my blog at offtheinbound.com. I'll tweet it out. I'll post it on Facebook. DePaul's game's at 5 tonight against Iowa State. That game's on ESPNU. It's probably gonna be. I'm probably gonna be watching that between football games, so I'll probably post the rankings around seven thirty, eight o'clock. We'll see, depending on when that game ends. But let's talk Loyola. Obviously, WAW is Loyola's radio station, so we're gonna talk a lot about the Ramblers today because they had a good showing yesterday against Lewis, seventy six forty eight win. It was their first game post COVID, if you recall, a couple weeks ago. I played the audio of Porter Moses' interview on ESPN with Seth Greenberg and Dan Dockich for the courtside podcast. And he said 16 of 17 guys tested positive and four of six coaches tested positive. So it ran through that program quick. And it was a slow start yesterday, which was to be expected. I mean, they, it's their first game of the year. They didn't really get much practice in. They, I believe they went back to practice the second or the third, and today's the sixth, to give you an idea of the timeline. And they looked slow to start, which was expected, but they it was a D2 Lewis team, which they're a very good D2 program. It, if you remember Max Struess, who went on, he played at Lewis, transferred to DePaul, ended up playing a few minutes for the Bulls this year. He just signed a contract with the Heat. He started his career at Lewis. So it was a good opponent to start with. And I actually texted Kyle Brown. He's a co-sports editor of the Loyola Phoenix, and he was – with me last year as an editor, I texted him when I saw the starting lineup that it reminded me very much of the 2017-18 lineup, which was very small and three-point heavy, which is Porter's offense, Porter Moser's offense. That starting lineup was Lucas Williamson, newcomer Braden Norris, 
Tate Hall, Ahir Ugwak, and Cameron Crutwig. So that left Cooper Cephas to come off the bench. That left Marquise Kennedy to come off the bench. And it left Keith Clemens, who's been dealing with an ankle injury, to come off the bench. So depth is a strength of this Loyola team this year. And again, that's where it reminds me a lot of 17-18. And speaking of 2017-2018, today is the now three-year anniversary of Loyola's victory over Florida. Florida was number five in the country. Loyola beat Florida 65-59 three years ago today. And I love telling the story of that night. So I'm in the I'm in the information commons, the library at Loyola, trying to write a paper. And I remember the paper. It was about U.S. relations with Cuba for my international relations class. Real exciting stuff. If you can tell, I was very excited to write it as I was watching basketball. And I'm watching this game. And full disclosure, the paper didn't get written that night. I ended up getting a text from my sports editor at the time saying, hey, write a story right now. And I did. And it was really a turning point for that season. And I, I know my mom was disappointed I didn't get my paper written that night. I remember telling her, like, this di- it didn't get done. Like, it was due, I believe the game was on a Wednesday and the paper was due on Friday, is how the timeline went. So I ended up writing the whole thing Thursday night, got an A on the paper. I'll pat myself on the back for that. But instead, I wrote a game recap that night, and it was insane. Like, that was one of, one of my favorite nights at Loyola, was watching them beat Florida. Just because they were number five in the country, I didn't think they'd have a chance to win that game. And there they were, even with Clayton Custer... Going down with an ankle injury in the first half, they still came back to win. And it was great. And again, it was a turning point for that season. So that's the anniversary today. Now, I'm watching yesterday's game, and I'm thinking to myself, A, this is the first Loyola game in four years that I haven't worked of some kind. Whether it be playing in the Band of Wolves and writing a story, or sitting on press row and writing a story, or taking pictures, and writing a story. So, naturally, my mind went, okay, I want to run some numbers here, because I'm curious about something. And I started thinking about what I said. The lineup reminded me a lot of the 2017-18 team. And I keep tweeting the 2018 team. When I say the 2018 Loyola Ramblers, I mean the Final Four squad. Dante Ingram, Ben Richardson, Clayton Custer, Marcus Towns, Andre Jackson, those guys. And I've crunched some numbers here. I'm going to throw a lot at you, but I'll break them all down. In 2017 to 2018, Porter ran a high-powered offense. And it was very much pace and space, which is where basketball's going. What do I mean by pace and space for people who don't know basketball? The offense run I mean, it's boom, boom, boom. That offense runs quick. And what you have is you spread out the floor, and you've got your three-point shooters around. I remember you get you had Dante Ingram who could shoot the three. You had Clayton Custer who could shoot the three. Marcus Towns and Ben Richardson. And they had Andre Jackson down low as your five. Now, Andre was 6'6", six, 6'7". Six, six, he was small, big. Actually, I think he might have even been 6'5". Either way, it was small ball. He wasn't known as a shooter, but he had a great presence down low. And that's what allowed that team to run so quick, is you could spread out that defense and then penetrate down low. Well, that year they averaged 15.6 assists to 26.2 made field goals per game. 
If you do the math, that's 0.6, essentially, I kind of to kind of give you an idea of how good that is. Yesterday against Lewis, Loyola went 18-27, which is 0.67. Now, here's the usual disclaimer. Yesterday was against a Division II team. That has to be noted. I mean, they weren't exactly playing Gonzaga or Baylor yesterday, which I'm still mad that game got canceled, but we won't talk about that right now. I get why it got canceled, but I was looking forward to it all week. <laughs> but anyway, they were playing a D2 team, so these numbers might be a little inflated. But, like I said, it was their first game post-COVID. You don't want to start out of the gate against a really tough team. you got to get warmed up. And even Porter said in the post-game press conference, I heard him on the recap on the Loyola Basketball Twitter, you can't simulate a game in practice. That's why the next game against Chicago State. Chicago State is not having a good year this year. Again, I mean, uh, here's a sneak peek at my rankings. They're going to be last in my rankings. And Loyola's going to have another good showing against them. But this way they get warmed up for the big matchup against UIC, which I broke last week. Which, more on that in a minute. So these numbers are going to be a little high. In 2017-2018, Loyola had 50.7% field goal percentage. Yesterday that number was 52.9%. In 2017-2018, three-point percentage was 39.6%. Yesterday it was 40%. It was actually 50% until they missed their last five. And in 2017-2018, they averaged 12.4 turnovers per game. Yesterday, they had 12. So it's pretty spot on in that regard. It's usually about average for Porter's teams. He usually has a goal less than 10 turnovers, 15 or more assists. Yesterday, they had 18 assists. They had 12 turnovers. So take good with the bad there. But there's a lot of parallels there. Like, I just read you those numbers. Granted, again, it's one game. Maybe I'm overreacting. Maybe I just need something to talk about today. Well... I need something to talk about today, that's for sure. But I'm just looking... I mean, you... Let me, let me read that starting lineup again. Tate Hall, Ahir Ugwak, Cameron Krotwig, Lucas Williamson, Braden Norris. I think Ahir is the big... Outside of Krotwig. Of the other four, I think Ahir is the tallest guy at 6'6". And you got Krotwig down low, who's basically a point center. Which, surprisingly, he didn't have an assist yesterday. At least there's not one logged on here. And he was held to eight points. But again, that's Porter's system. You feed it out to the outside. I mean, Tate Hall had 17 points yesterday. And yesterday was more about how these pieces are going to fit together. And I think they're going to fit together really well. And you also got off the bench, the sixth man of the year last year in Marquise Kennedy, an all-freshman and all-bench team nominee in Cooper Kafis, who's lights out from three. He went three for five, all from three. You got Keith Clemens, your starting point guard from last year, who was dealing with an injury. He's probably going to be back in the lineup, is my guess. You've also got Tom Welch, who I thought looked great yesterday. I think I think he took a big leap this offseason. And you've got Paxson Wojcik, and you've got a newcomer in Baylor Hebb, who's also a three-point shooter. He went over 3 yesterday, but coming in, you knew him as a shooter. Let's not forget that Frank Agonani didn't dress yesterday. He's coming off a knee injury. I think knee surgery. He's still out for a couple weeks. There's a lot of depth here. And that's what Porter wants. He wants depth, and he's got it. And especially with Keith getting healthy, someone's going to get bounced in the lineup, the starting lineup. I think it's going to be Braden. Or if you want to keep that three-point shooting in there, maybe move Ahir to the second team, which Ahir had nine rebounds yesterday. And I like the headband look. The, he the headband's a nice look for him. 
But that's what Porter's got to work with this year. And I think it's going to be a good year. I think back to last year. I told you this year was going to be good. That's why I was mad I was graduating when I was. Because I was going to miss this team. And it is one of the good things about not having a full-time job yet running my blog. I can still watch them and have an interest in writing about them. And they're going to be good. And nobody yesterday... I'm sorry, one person, it was Braden Norris, played more than 25 minutes. He played 27. If you can space out those minutes, that's going to be good. I know Porter doesn't like playing guys 30 minutes or more. He did that a, quite a bit during the Final Four. Those, again, the big-name guys, uh, Ingram, Custer, Towns, Richardson, Jackson, they played 30-plus minutes. But all told, he likes to space out the minutes. And yesterday, minutes were down because he, he's trying to get the legs freshened up. This is still early yet. They still had to shut down for two weeks. you got to remember that. And I liked what I saw. I really did. And as the year goes on, I think we're going to see more good things. Loyola's got Chicago State coming up December 9th. At UIC, December 13th, which, if you recall, I think that was even earlier this week. I, uh, so John Rothstein broke it, but I was right behind him that uh, Loyola's playing UIC at Credit Union 1 Arena formerly known as the UIC Pavilion. I still call it the Pavilion. Formerly, I have to call it Credit Union 1 Arena, but it's always going to be the Pavilion to me. Like, All-State Arena is going to be the Rosemount Horizon. Loyola UIC is at 1 p.m. December 13th. That's going to be a damn good game because UIC took Ball State down to the wire. They actually took the lead at one point, only lost by two. That was their first loss of the year. And I really like what Luke Yaklich is doing in the West Loop. I think that, I mean, I think Raquandis Mitchell is going to be something special. I see a lot of good in him. And he's a great recruiter, Yaklich is. And he's got some good recruits coming in next year. So I think Loyola UIC, that's going to be a really good game between two solid programs. And UIC is on the up and come. You got to remember, Steve McLean was the coach there. He's gone now. Luke Yaklich is in. I gotta can't rush through his name. Luke Yaklich is in. And he's got to build that program. So they're not there yet. I'm not talking... I'm not saying the Flames are going to win the Horizon League. No, that's not what I'm saying. I think the pieces are there. He's got a strong foundation, and these guys could develop really well under him because he had a really good developmental record at Michigan when he coached under John Beeline. And I really like what I'm seeing out of his Flames this year. So, yeah, December 13th, 1 p.m., Loyola UIC. Obviously, again, Loyola's got Chicago State on the 9th. That game's going to be... A good game for Loyola, I think it's going to be very similar to the Lewis game in that low minutes. Just figuring out the system, see how these pieces fit together. And then UIC. I want to go back to Tom Welch for a second. And I was talking with, is he the Bishop Emeritus of Blurs now? Jonah Blatt, my good friend. We were texting yesterday, talking basketball. And he brought up that he thought Tom took a big leap. And on the stat sheet, seven points, three rebounds. Three or five shooting, one of three from three. And we both agree, he looked more comfortable than he did last year. I feel like last year, last year as a freshman, I don't think he was used to playing the five that much, at least in high school. And last year, I feel like he kind of had to be thrown into the deep end and play the five. And he just didn't look all that comfortable. But I don't know what Porter did in the offseason, but he looked good yesterday. And it goes back to Porter's system. Tom 6'7". He's going to fit into the Andre Jackson role for all intents and purposes in that he's going to be the quote-unquote big guy 
down low. And that offense is going to be pace and space. You're going to have your shooters, which is likely going to be Norris, Williamson, Kafis. I'm going to guess Heb, maybe Clemens. You've got a bunch of shooters on this team. Bear with me. So when Crutwig's out, you can go small and put Tom at the five. And then all of a sudden, you could have five guys on the floor who can shoot the three. Which is what you want in a pace and space system. In Porter's system, he loves using the three ball. That's what's hurt him the last couple of years. In 2018, 2019, three-point percentage dipped to 36.5% from 39.6. And then 2019, 2020, it went up a little bit to 36.7%. So the three-point shooting was down. And last year, that was probably due to Cooper Capus going down with a hip injury. Because he's their shooter. And it felt so good seeing him make threes yesterday. He looks really good. And I'm really glad that Bob Tot's back. He cut his hair his freshman year, and I thought the student section was going to go nuts. But he's got the bop top back, and I'm, I'm glad he's back on the court. He looked good. He also grabbed six rebounds. So a lot of good from Porter's team this year. And it's going to be a good year in Rogers Park. I, I wish we could go to games, but we can't. So instead, we got to watch on ESPN Plus or listen on the Rambler Radio Network with my guys Jeff Hagedor and Chris Sparks. Glad they're back for another year. And as I said, the Paul's back tonight. And I did open the mailbag this week on Twitter, and I had one person submit. Thank you to my guy, Teddy, for responding to the mailbag. If anyone wants to chime in, still tweet at me. If you're listening and want to talk college hoops, tweet at me. I'll probably read your tweet on air, and it'll give me a good talking point. But Teddy brought up a good point. He responded saying, hey, can you talk about whether it is the right time for the Chicago schools to have a 14 tournament at you at the United Center or Wintrust Arena like Iowa used to do with Northern Iowa, Iowa, Drake, and Iowa State. Well, if you recall a couple weeks ago, and I wish I had the audio handy, but I don't, I talked about this. When Loyola and DePaul and Northwestern were all shut down, I said, hey, there's a good way for you to help each other out. Have an MTE at the United Center. And I think it's the perfect time, too. I mean, DePaul is becoming a name again. Granted, they finished last in the Big East last year. Again, and they've hired a new AD in Dwayne Peavy, who's going to do big things for that program. And I think Northwestern's going to have a better year. I hope they have a better year. I, I, for Chris Collins' sake, I hope they have a better year. I think you lump in UIC, you lump in Loyola, who's going to have a really good year. That's a four-team MTE. That's a strong four-team MTE. Because if you're Loyola or UIC, you got power opponents in Northwestern in the Big Ten and DePaul in the Big East. And that'll help for strength of schedule come potentially an at-large bid. I don't know why this doesn't happen. I really don't. Like Loyola and DePaul, we're going to play this year, but I've talked to some people in the game and doesn't sound like that's going to happen this year. Haven't heard anything official, but just talking to people, the general consensus is it's probably not going to happen this year, which is a shame because I was really looking forward to that. But I agree, they need to have a multi-team event at the United Center. And if DePaul wants to host it at Wintrust Arena, host it at Wintrust Arena. There's no home court advantage this year. No fans. So it, it could be the UC, Wintrust, Genteel Arena, Welsh Ryan Arena, Credit Union 1 Arena, wherever. I think that needs to happen. I think it might be too late for it to happen now. But down the road, why not? I, I just don't understand why these teams don't play. Northwestern is five miles from Loyola and doesn't play them. It's on. They take one road. You hop on Sheridan Road. It takes you 
to the campuses. You don't even have to turn. Well, yeah, you got to make some turns, but you don't have to turn onto another road. You take Sheridan Road from Rogers Park up to Evanston. There you are. You're on campus. I don't know why they don't play. DePaul and Loyola used to play all the time. Why? I know Porter's expressed interest in playing DePaul. Why hasn't DePaul wanted to play Loyola until this year? I don't get it. Granted, I'm glad Loyola UIC is back. I was really disappointed that that series wasn't going to be around anymore. But now they've got a four-year deal. Through 2024, these teams are going to play, which is good. That's what you like to see. Take notes, Dave Lado. Take notes, Chris Collins. I don't know why they don't play. I've been barking up this tree now for four years. And the only thing that's come about it is UIC is back on the schedule. And I think last year it was due to an AD change. It needs to happen. And, I mean, I... I mean, bring me into the negotiations. I don't care. I know Les Grobstein at the score set up to Paul Northwestern. I'll be the third party. I'll bring them together. Why not? I got nothing else to do. Why not? As we hit the bottom of the hour, I want to remind you, you're listening to WOUW 88.7 FM, broadcasting from the campus of Loyola University. I'm currently broadcasting from my detached garage in Dwight, Illinois. So thank you, Teddy, for the question, because I could talk about that all day. But there is something else I want to get to Missouri Valley-related, and news came out this week. Ben Jacobson, the Northern Iowa head coach, has a radio show, and he mentioned something about A.J. Green having a hip injury. And he's getting second. When you hear second opinions, you worry. Because it sounds like he can either miss some time, rehab it, and play through the year, or have season-ending surgery. I have not heard anything else. I've been watching. I know Nick Pateros is the guy at the Waterloo Courier. He's the beat writer. He's my go-to guy. I know Cole Blair does a good job as well over there. Haven't seen anything else from them. Uh, AJ was ruled out of Northern Iowa's game against St. Ambrose this week which that's understandable. It, it sounds like he's going to miss some time regardless. But Northern Iowa can't afford to lose A.J. Green. They're 1-3 and three in their one wins over St. Ambrose, who's NAIA. The only reason I've heard of St. Ambrose is because my cousin and my best friend go there. Northern Iowa needs A.J. Green. The Missouri Valley needs A.J. Green. So if he's gone for the year, the door is open for a certain team from Chicago. And the door is open for a certain team from Peoria and Bradley. And watch out for Drake this year. You got Loyola, Bradley, Drake, who can make a run at that top spot. Darren DeVries has done a hell of a job out in Des Moines. And on top of AJ going down, Antoine Kimmins is heading back home to help out his family due to COVID-19, which mad respect to him for that. Not many guys can do that. But he said he wants to head home. And be there for his family during the pandemic. So they're down him as well. That takes him down. I think if AJ's healthy, they're down to an eight-guy rotation. And granted, they'll have... uh, Who went? Was it Haldeman? That wasn't there in South Dakota? Trey Burhau. I'm sorry. Haldeman graduated. Trey Burhau wasn't with them in Sioux Falls because of COVID protocols. So having him back, that's a boost. But without A.J. Green, Northern Iowa's that much weaker. The Valley is that much weaker. I still say, if Northern Iowa doesn't have A.J. Green, the Valley is Loyola's for the taking. Watch out for Bradley. Because Bradley's putting out a show to start. 
Watch out for Drake. If I had to pick the league in order without AJ, I'm taking Loyola, Bradley, Drake in the top three. No doubt. So that's something to keep an eye on as well. I might do a full column on that at off the inbound. We'll see how I feel, see how much time I have on my hands. You know, I, I'm very busy. You know, I'm watching, I'm watching football today. I'm watching football tomorrow. I'm getting ready for basketball to start. I got naps to take. I got more naps to take. Jobs to apply to. Yeah, I have time to write a column. I might end up writing something. Stay tuned for that. But the Valley could be interesting this year. I mean, it was going to be interesting anyway. But you take the reigning player of the year out of the equation. And I mean, AJ got NBA looks. I mean, he tested the draft, didn't get an agent, which is how he could come back this year. And I thought he was going to take a leap with what he found, what he heard back from scouts. But man, <laughs> this could get really, really interesting. And I'm guessing we'll know more this week. And Valley schedules did come out. And it's, it's a different arrangement this year. So the way they're doing this for men's and women's basketball is... It'll be two games, Saturday, Sunday, back-to-back. So to give you an example, I'm going to use Loyola's schedule. Loyola opens conference play against Indiana State January 1st and 2nd. Oh, that's women's basketball. I'm sorry. Let's Let's stick to men's basketball so I don't mix the two. Loyola opens against Illinois State December 27th through 29th at Gentile Arena. So, what that means, Loyola ISU plays December 27th at Gentile Arena. They have a day off. They play December 29th at Gentile Arena. And then, Loyola travels to Bradley. They go to Peoria, which is really good out of the gate. They play at Carver Arena January 2nd, a day off the 3rd. They play at Carver again on the 4th. Each team has five home games, Five away games. That's how they balanced it. The good news for Loyola is they have Northern Iowa at home. But they travel on the road to Bradley and Drake, who would be the two teams I'd worry about if Northern Iowa isn't fully healthy. So the month of January is huge for Loyola. But that's how the Valley's doing the schedule this year. And I heard Nick Denardi my guy, talking about this on the broadcast yesterday. And I thought he made a good point. I want to bring it up now. Home court advantage has been huge in the Valley for a long time. Probably, it's always been, I think. So seeing these teams, like Loyola, Northern Iowa, your top two teams, seeing Loyola at home, I said there's no home court advantage this year. I don't really think there is because there's no fans, which is another excuse why you need to make your free throws because there's no fans there to distract you. It's a quiet arena. Make your free throws. Tate Hall, I'm calling you out. Make your free throws, please. I don't, I don't want to tweet that picture of my notebook, but I do. I tried yesterday, guys. I really tried not to do it yesterday. I tried to avoid tweeting that during a Loyola game. I was doing really well. I couldn't take it anymore. But anyway, 
Back on subject. Home court advantage is not as pronounced as it was last year, or the year before, or the year before. It's empty arenas. Who knows what's going to happen after the new year? With the vaccines coming, I know John Rothstein tweeted that Dr. Fauci said March or late March, early April for when the general population will get the vaccine. I think that's what he said. I'm pretty sure that's what he said. Who knows what's going to happen with crowds. But as we sit here right now, it is December 6th at 11.38 a.m. No fans. Therefore, there's not much of a home court advantage. Other than, okay, you're in a different lighting. You have a different PA announcer. You have different music, which some arena music is better than others, but don't get me started. Outside of that, you're just in a different arena. And that's that's why I'm so intrigued by the Valley schedule. It's because it's just, it's so different. It's so different. And I mean, here, I'll, I'll run you through Loyola's schedule here. Just while we're talking about the Ramblers. I'll talk, I'll get to Bradley, Illinois State, Southern Illinois too. Loyola, home against Illinois State. At Bradley, at Drake, home against Northern Iowa, at Valpo, at Missouri State. Home against Evansville, at Indiana State. Home against Valpo, home against Southern Illinois to close the year. Bradley, at Valpo, home against Loyola, at Northern Iowa, home against Evansville, home against Illinois State, so the war on 74 is going to be in Peoria this year, at Indiana State, home against Southern Illinois, at Missouri State, at Illinois State, home against Drake. Bradley closing the year against Drake could be a pivotal series. Looking at what we have here, and again, I'm thinking in terms of there's a potential we don't have A.J. Green. That could be a pivotal series. Loyola gets them both out of the way, second game, third game. That could be big. Illinois State at Loyola, home against Valpo, at Evansville, home against Indiana State, at Bradley, at Drake, home against Missouri State, at Southern Illinois, home against Bradley, home against Northern Iowa. Oh, some teams play them twice. Southern Illinois. Home against Evansville, at Drake, at Indiana State, home against Valpo, at Missouri State, home against Northern Iowa, at Bradley, home against Illinois State, home against Missouri State, at Loyola. So the way the schedules work out, it's looking like there are a couple times where teams play the same team in two different series. I'm guessing that has to do with travel partners. But again, it just adds the intrigue to the schedule for this year. So it's something to keep an eye on. Conference season's always the telltale. It's the life of a mid-major. I mean, it's safe to say Northern Iowa's hopes for an at-large bid are gone. They started 0-3. They shouldn't have started 0-3. They had Trey Burhow, they're 2-1-1. But they didn't have Trey Burhow, and the committee frankly doesn't care if you're missing one of your better players, so they were 0-3. At-large hopes, gone. It's still hard to tell how everyone else is going to do. Because Bradley could have easily been 3-0. and And with the loss the way they lost, who knows? That's a long way away. But it's coming quick because it is December. 
We're almost done with 2020, guys. We're getting there. We're close. Almost there. We're almost done with this year. March is a ways away. There's a lot that can happen between now and March. But for all intents and purposes, we're going to talk as if they're going to have a full season. And my prediction, I don't think A.J. Green's going to be able to go this year. Usually when you hear second opinion, you start thinking, okay, let's think worst case scenario here. Worst case scenario, A.J. Green's up for Northern Iowa. It goes Loyola, Bradley Drake in the top three. Bradley Drake at the end of the year, that two-game series is going to be huge. And then you get Arch Madness. It is weird to think about the craziest Arch Madness in history. Top two seeds going down on Friday. A seven seed in Valpo making the championship was the last normal sporting event many of us went to. It's the last last sporting event I covered. This Arch Madness could be just as crazy. Because again, there's so much parity in the league. The last, ever since Wichita State left, there's been a lot of parity in the league. Now, if Loyola or if Wichita State stayed in the league, Loyola doesn't make the NCAA tournament. I can tell you that right now. But the last couple of years, there's been a lot of parity in the league. And it's going to stay this year. I love Valley Hoops. I love mid-major basketball. But I especially love Valley Hoops. Just growing up in an Illinois State house. It's going to be a fun year. I hope they get every game in. I hope we don't have any more shutdowns. But it's the reality of where we're at right now. And we'll see. Looking forward to more college basketball talk down the road. But I do want to talk Bears as we enter the last 15 minutes of the show. And I have not talked any football yet. You guys should be proud of me. Going until the last 15 minutes without talking about how bad the Bears are and how bad of a state the Bears are in after they got their butts handed to them against Green Bay and how they were flat out embarrassed in prime time again. You guys should be really, really proud of me for holding off this long. I'm not going to talk much about that game, that Sunday night game last week, because I'm just kind of numb to it at this point. Everyone was going nuts on Bears Twitter, which is normal anymore. Everyone was going nuts, and I was just sitting here just like, okay, what's next? They've lost five in a row. They were five and one. Now they're five and six. What's next? And I, I really, I was thinking about maybe doing like a podcast next day, just ranting into the microphone. But like, you know, I don't really feel like it. I don't know. I just, I don't feel like it. Just because I'm, I'm numb to it. I think, and I was talking to my brother about this, and I'm, I, I asked him like, why am I not more angry about that game? He's like, it's you expected them to lose that game. You knew they were going to lose to the Packers. I mean, I picked them of their five-game winning streak. I think I picked them to win three of those games, maybe four. 
I didn't pick them to beat the Packers. And I remember say, I gave the disclaimer on the show. I picked Packers, what I say, 24-14? 21-14? I, had, I think I had the prediction on my notes here. But I gave the disclaimer. If Akeem Hicks doesn't play, it's going to be ugly. I said Packers 27-17 last week. And I said, if Akeem Hicks doesn't play, I'm going to guess 31-14. It was worse than that. Akeem Hicks drives that defense. And he's back today. He's back active today. Khalil Mack (laughs) scared us all with a back injury this week. He's back. He's active. Allen Robinson got hurt in practice this week. He's back. Darnell Moody is active. No surprises today. Outside of, if you're surprised that Javon Williams is back in the lineup, the only reason I'm surprised is because I figured they'd cut him. I did not want him on this roster anymore. But he's active today. Riley Ridley is not playing. And I I don't I don't know why Javon Williams is still on this roster after he punched the guy from the Saints whose name I can't remember right now. I don't know why he's still here, but he is. He's active today. Nice. And the Bears are a favorite. Which has not been the case all year. I think this is the first time all year the Bears have been favored. They're a three-point favorite today. The only reason that's the case is because Matt Patricia and Bob Quinn got fired. The Bears are playing a team that just fired their head coach and just fired their GM. So it's left Bears fans wondering, what does this mean? Does this mean anything? And they also played the Texans coming up who also fired their coach slash GM and Bill O'Brien. They're playing against teams who are going through what's expected to happen this offseason. You lose five in a row, and one, and you get embarrassed by the Packers. Virginia McCaskey has every reason to be pissed off. That's her words. Well, George's words about her. It doesn't bode well when you get embarrassed by the Packers during a losing streak. I really don't know what's going to happen today. I mean, I'm inclined to say the Bears are going to cover that. But they've surprised me before. And they surprised me actually this morning. Jason Locken 4 at CBS Sports. I'm waking up, checking Twitter, and I'm seeing Pat Fitzgerald. Why is Pat Fitzgerald's name tied to the Bears already? Jason Locken 4, I put this report out three hours ago. If the Bears move on from Matt Nagy as head coach this offseason, they will target Northwestern's Pat Fitzgerald. I'm going to read you a little bit of this. If the Chicago Bears conduct a coaching search next month, and numerous league sources have indicated it is far more likely than not that will be the case, Northwestern head coach Pat Fitzgerald will be at the top of their wish list. Frustration is mounting within ownership about the performance of coach Matt Nagy and general manager Ryan Pace, sources said, and Fitzgerald has long had the attention of ownership. Northwestern is having another excellent season, and while a former Wildcat player has long asserted he hoped to coach in Evanston for life, he did grant the Packers an audience about their head coaching job two years ago before quickly withdrawing, and the Bears have long long been identified by those close to him as the one NFL job he might seriously entertain at the appropriate time. I think Fitz would be a good fit in the locker room. 
I think he's a good leader. I think we've seen that. College and the NFL are two different animals. In one way, you could talk about the officiating, because I agree with Jonathan Hood at ESPN 1000. When I watch college games on Saturday and I watch pro games on Sunday, I have to adjust to the officiating because the officiating is so much different. But I don't think I'd be disappointed with Pat Fitzgerald as Bears head coach. Mainly because outside of maybe Eric Bieniemy, who's another Andy Reid disciple, and I don't think the Bears would go that route again. But outside of Bieniemy, there isn't really anyone else I can think of off the top of my head. Well, at least that's available right now. You're, you're looking offensive-minded because the defense is fine. The defense is elite. You need someone who can build an offense. Fitz is a defense guy. But you've seen what he did at Northwestern. And I I hate using this phrase. It's so cliche. I heard it all the time at Loyola because Porter Moser uses this word all the time. But it fits in this context. Fitz is a culture guy. He can build a culture that can attract free agents. The offense is bad. It needs work. If Fitz has dealt this personnel... It's not going to be good on the lakefront. I, I, I'll say I don't think Bill, I don't think Bill Belichick could win with this O line and this offense. The offensive line needs work. The run game needs to improve. They need to keep Allen Robinson, and they need a steady quarterback. I wouldn't be disappointed with Fitz as head coach. I'm not sure if I'm in the majority or minority in that. I I don't want to say I'm pro-hiring fits. I'm not saying I'm anti-hiring fits. I'm saying, why not? If he wants it, if, if, they, see, if they think he's going to do a good job, go for it. And when I say they, notice I'm not saying Ted Phillips. Ted Phillips has been with the Bears now for, what is it? I got to be about 30 years. It's time. If the Bulls can get rid of John Paxson and Gar Foreman and bring in a modern front office, so can the Bears. People are excited about the Bulls again. If there wasn't a pandemic going on, I think people would want to go to Bulls games again. That's where the McCaskies would be hitting the same way the Reinsdorfs would be. People are pissed off about the Bears. People want the entire front office gone. They need a football guy as their president. Ted Phillips, he's been around a while. He's not a football guy. You need a guy like Lewis Riddick. I love Lewis Riddick. If the Bears wanted to hire him as GM or even president, absolutely. I'm a big Lewis Riddick fan. It's time for Ted Phillips to go. That needs to happen this offseason. They need to not wait. Week 17's over. I want to hear on Monday that Ryan Pace, Matt Nagy, and Ted Phillips 
are gone. Because if you're going to start with, if you're going to get rid of the top, you got to get rid of the coach. And I, I know I'm flipping from what I said about Matt Nagy last week and the week before that it's not his fault. If you're getting rid of the top guys, you got to just clean house entirely. I really and truly think that Matt can be a good coach. He's not a very good play caller, but I think he can be a good coach. There's a big difference. I just don't think Chicago is a good place. And if they're smart, they get rid of their president in Ted Phillips and their GM in Ryan Pace, and at that point, just get rid of Nagy. Because if you're going to do this, if you're going to burn it down, if you're going to make big changes, don't hire someone else to hire the GM and head coach. Does anyone remember when Ernie Accorsi had to come in? Am I the only one who remembers this? For those who don't remember, the reason you had John Fox as head coach is because the Bears brought in Ernie Accorsi to do the coaching search. And he gave them John Fox. That was not Ryan Pace's call. What was Ryan Pace's call was drafting Mitch's quarterback. And even then, this is confirmed, he went rogue. He didn't tell anyone he was going to take Mitch at number two. He was going to trade up for Mitch at number two. He just did it. I remember when it happened. John Fox had no idea what was happening. So there's your two flaws right there. There's the crux of the issue. The issue is not Matt Nagy. Well, it is Matt Nagy, but it's not Matt Nagy. It is because the play calling was atrocious. He was supposed to come in and fix this offense, but he couldn't. But that said, it's not entirely on him because the, the personnel's not there. You got Allen Robinson. That's it. You need more weapons. And Ryan Pace, give him credit. He built a hell of a defense. But the offense, oh my goodness. It's very similar to Phil Emery. It, it, it's like a pattern. History is repeating itself. Phil Emery built a good defense. It, he couldn't get he couldn't build the offense at all. Granted, they had Jay Cutler, but they couldn't build an offense. It's time for a change, and I'm not talking just the GM. Get rid of Ted Phillips, please. If you're gonna make change, make a change. Don't try to make a change like, oh, it's the GM's fault. No, you need someone to hire the GM. The president needs to be a football guy to hire the GM. As we wrap up here, I've got about three and a half minutes. More on today's Bears-Lions game. No Kenny Galladay or DeAndre Swift for Detroit. So the offense is taking a hit. I'm not sure what we're going to see out of the Lions offense. I'm not sure how they're going to look post-Matt Patricia. It's a good thing he's gone. And I know Lions fans who are saying the same thing. It's a good thing he's gone because the guy just wasn't good. When I say Matt Nagy's a good coach but not a good play caller, I'm talking he's good in the room, in the locker room. He's a good leader. He says the right things. He's not a good play caller. I think he can rally the guys and get them going, et cetera, et cetera. He's a hype man. You see him on the sidelines now that he's not calling plays. He's in their faces. That's good. 
Matt Patricia just looked like he was kind of there. Pencil in his ear, staring out at the offense, going, oh, I don't know what to do. So I really don't know what's going to happen with the Lions offense today. I do know that Mitchell Trubisky has a 106 career rating versus Detroit, but that's against a Matt Patricia coached offense or Matt Patricia coached defense. I don't know what, what Mitch we're going to see today. I mean, Nagy and Trubisky have good records against Detroit. But Patricia's not there anymore. So the Lions are a big question mark, and that's why the, this spread bears by three. I don't know if I'd touch that. I do know that my gut's telling me they'd cover it and win 21-14. to 14. They'd find a way to get 21 points. I think Detroit would score two touchdowns because they got Adrian Peterson still. That's my prediction. Bears 21-14. That's, there's so much unknown today. And we're almost done with the season already because it's December and this is what, week 13? We're getting close. Again, noon kickoff. The game's on Fox. We'll see. We'll see how angry we get today. Maybe they'll score a point in the third quarter. Maybe they'll surprise us. I just want a safety in the third quarter. I don't even want a field goal. Just give me a safety so they score some points in the third quarter. I'm almost out of time, so I want to thank everybody for listening today. And thank you to Jonah and Teddy for chiming in on my mailbag, which not many people bet on. I'm planning on being here next week for the show. Next week is the beginning of Winter Freeform here on WLUW, where hosts can have a show about whatever they want, music-wise. I'm not sure if I'll be on. Stay tuned to my Twitter page for that. I will be starting more podcast adventures soon, including moving it to YouTube. There will be some YouTube videos of me basically ranting into the microphone. And I hope you'll join me for that. So I hope to see you next week. Everybody stay safe, stay healthy, wear a mask. Bears hopefully win today, end this losing streak, and we'll see if any changes are coming to the lakefront soon. So have a good one, everybody. Take care.